This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Well, good Tuesday morning, everybody. I am Glenn the Geek, and I am from Ocala, Florida. And I am Emily Wood from Wellington, Florida, and you are listening to a special jumping edition of Horses in the Morning on Horse Radio Network for April 2nd, episode 2152, brought to you today by Essequestrian. Good morning, Horse World. Oh, my God. It's Tuesday. It's top-class show jumping uh, at the very best. Every horse is different and you've got to be able to understand and read each different horse. Remember we're looking for those clears in this round to go forward to the jump off. You can't ask for anything more. It's just pure theatre. Happy anniversary, happy anniversary, happy anniversary, happy anniversary, for a cheerful toast and fill it, happy anniversary. Happy anniversary, Emily. Yeah, happy anniversary, but you know, uh, you forgot, so you're saying it like you own it, and I'm the one that reminded you. <laughs> Isn't that the way it is in a relationship that yes. somebody should remember? You're the, yes. you're the one that's the, the mature one. I, I, apparently, I'm growing up. Look at me go. Five years. <laughs> Did you yep. ever remember your anniversaries of when you were married? No. No, I didn't think so. No. <laughs> Never. <laughs> not once. Oops. Oops. I still don't remember. And that's why they're not married anymore. <laughs> right, exactly. No, it's done deal. Well, happy anniversary. Believe happy. it or not, we've been doing this jumping episode on Horses in the Morning for five years. I know. It's nuts, right? That means that... And we didn't believe it, by the way. We were both before the show looking back in the website to find out when we did start. And it really was five years ago. It really was. I was like, look at my hair. My hair is like so short. You, know? <laughs> you did. Like, you would look completely different. You I look know. young now. You look really young then. Oh, uh, yeah. Totally. <laughs> so, I know. I, so, yeah, we met. Uh, everybody always asks how I met, met yeah. my various co-hosts, which about 30 of them now, right? Um mm-hmm. But Emily and I met at Ada, which probably was six or seven years ago now. Yeah. And we met at Ada, uh, which is the trade show, and you were there with Ask a Question. So when did you start Ask? That would have been your first time at WESA, or at Ada, that, I think. Yeah, yeah. We met, uh, yeah, we met almost immediately that first, you know, day or something, because you were making the rounds my first year. Yep. And we incorporated, went on the racks uh, 2010. Um, obviously we're working on it before that, but actually went on sale in 2010. I want to, I don't know, maybe it was 2011 or something like this that we had in 2012, something. I don't know. Yeah. And then Emily and I hit it off the minute we saw each other. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I was like, (laughs) and and then you're like, let's go. We're going to do an interview. I was like, I don't think I'm good at that, but you know, I have been standing here pitching the clothing line to people for 12 hours or something more a day <laughs> in a place with no windows. I mean, who knows what I'm good at anymore? I'm a totally different person after Ada. Right? And, and you days. still have the picture of the first interview we ever did. Yes, yeah. that was so much fun. No, we did. We had a blast. I was like, wow, okay. Like, I actually like this. And Maybe the next like Ada, when... we had you co-host at Ada. Yes, with me. and you made me deploy an airbag vest. Oh, that's right. We were both video. in airbag vests. 
<laughs> yeah, but like I was recovering from like a crushed rib cage. So I was like scared, you know, I'm like, is this thing going to like, I mean, all you have to do is like, look at my rib cage and it hurts, you know? That's how and I knew Emily was dedicated. Right yes, there. <laughs> I did, right? On video, I was like, ah, my heart was racing. Like, is this going to hurt like crazy? And I have to say, I mean, what better person to test the pressures of an airbag vest than somebody with a crushed rib cage? Because <laughs> it did not hurt at all. Like, it deployed, boom, out in the neck guard and everything. I was like, all right, they survived. You know, you didn't know at the time that that was your audition. No, I know. I had no idea. And then you were like, we're going to start doing, because you're in Wellington, we want to do the jumper show and develop that. And I'm thinking like... Well, you came on Horses in the Morning for a while, giving us the social social report. (laughs) You gave us the... The uh, the Wellington... uh, uh, What would we call it? We had a name. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was just the Wellington report, you know, whatever the stats were going on. But yeah, that's how we would start because we were recording on Mondays at that time. And I would drive by what was at that time Players Club. And like, we would start off with like how many cars were still there, you know, like it it became less of a serious report and more of uh, People (laughs) Magazine as well. That's what happens with me. Yeah. Very, very quickly things get less serious. (laughs) We weren't really caring about the serious stuff. We wanted to know the People Magazine stuff. Yeah. (laughs) I I mean, and it was exciting. I mean, like after some of those big Grand Prix, there would be like 20 and 30 cars, like oddly placed, you know, because like there was recently hundreds of cars. But like for those that aren't catching on, that meant they went home with someone they probably weren't supposed to. Right. They yeah. did not drive their vehicle home. Yeah. Uh, I and don't it probably think it wasn't was with their wife there. at that point. Uh, right. Yeah. Their, their girlfriend. It was it somebody was else completely. <laughs> yeah. So. I mean, like, legit. Like, that's what you're, like, watching. Like, wow. <laughs> I'm feeling better about what I'm doing. So, you know? yeah, that's how we met. That's how Emily and I met. And as I said, we, we hit it off immediately. And now I, now I refer to Emily as my little sister. I know. Um, she's my it's little so sister. True. You and Caroline both. You be- both become little sisters. I know. We don't have Caroline today because she's sick. Poor girl's got that nasty stomach bug that's been going around down here. It's like a two-day thing. It's and you no two fun. are so alike and so different. I know. Isn't that funny? Yeah. You really are different in so many ways. And yep. yet you're so alike in so many ways. I mean, it's it's kind of funny that way. It is. But I'm glad that I, I, I appreciate the fact that she's kind of taken over my spot, my spot here at the jumping show uh, and does much better job than I ever did because I don't know the same <laughs> thing about jumping. So that was good. But today I'll fill in. I'll fill in I today know. and help out. And surprise, it all worked out because today is our anniversary. anniversary. And it's, you and know, I do you miss seeing you. It's the only time we get to talk every month usually. So I know. Well, we've got to do, yeah, you got to come back down to Wellington. We can, you know, watch some show jumping, go grab a bite, whatever. I know I keep saying that I'm going to come up there, but you know, I'm not going to come up there until I build the fancy place. <laughs> yeah, for five, for the, what, five years we've known each other. She keeps promising to come up and visit Jennifer and I, and never has. <laughs> That's why I got divorced. I'm not going. Like, I'll go to the fancy place when it's built with the heat and whatever uh, in the winter. So what is that? The World Equestrian Center. Yes, uh, 2021, they're saying. Oh, all right. Well, we're just, you're going to have to come down here until then. <laughs> so let's get to our first guest. Ari Kimball is a good friend of mine and has worked very hard to get where she is today. The story is not over. She has lofty goals to be an FEI groom and is successfully working hard to achieve them. Today is actually her birthday. She is 22. Happy birthday, girl. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy, happy birthday to you. Yay. <laughs> 
<laughs> happy birthday. I know. April oh, Fool's Day. You. Happy birthday day. <laughs> Me and Gwen's anniversary day. So much. So much um, going on. I know, but thanks for making the time, girl, because I know you're working on Monday, but I was so excited. Um, you know, Ari's a good friend of mine, and we talk a lot about different things, and we, kind of the other day, I was like, you know what? Your story is actually quite inspirational, and it's very, it's relatable for a lot of people, and uh, you're working hard to get somewhere. You're young, okay, 22, you know, you're going to keep working like the rest of us <laughs> for a long time. Uh, always. Always, always work. <laughs> hustle hard, hustle hard. Um, but yeah, just, I think this is uh, such a great story. Just start, start from the beginning, kind of give us a little back and how you got started with horses, you know, where you're from, kind of your experience. How did you, what did you have to do to be able to get, you know, achieve your goals, just even your beginning goals of getting to the barn? Right. So I, um, my mother was racetrack. She was a, she worked at Suffolk Downs for 35 years. So the horses are just in my blood. All They always have been. I've been riding since I was, I think, 18 months old. I have pictures of me uh, horse showing and uh, with one person leading me and one person holding me. <laughs> um, it was, it's really awesome, but I'm from Boston, Massachusetts. And uh, I grew up riding at a beautiful, stunning farm called Ascot Riding Center in Ipswich, Massachusetts. Um, I, I started taking lessons there around six years old and I consistently took lessons till I was about, um, I think about 13 years old and my mother and I got into some money problems. So I couldn't afford to take lessons anymore. And it came to a point where I had to start working for working for my lessons. But the problem was at the time I was living in Boston, Massachusetts, and my farm was an hour drive away. So for, I think about two years, my mother, every weekend, Saturday and Sunday, half days, days off, would drive me to the barn and I would work from probably, I think, 6.30 in the morning till about 5.30 at night. And I loved it. And then I think I was 16 when my mother's car broke. Yeah. So my mom, my mother bought a, uh, bought a scooter, which was kind of a problem for me because how was I going to get to the barn? So I kind of had to use my brain. So I Hooking the horse trailer to the back is tough too. Uh, that's tough. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're limited exactly. with the scooter. <laughs> I can't really, uh, can't really uh, take my scooter down a mass down a mass highway. But um, I started commuting two and a half hours by bike and train. I'd get up at five o'clock in the morning, walk over to the the T in uh, Brookline, and then take the T to the commuter rail to North Station, and then North Station to Ipswich, and then I would bike two miles to the barn, and I did that for about eight years. Oh my God! All I lived God. I lived in Beverly. My wife was manager of Myopia Hunt Club for a while. Um, so, yeah, I used to hunt with myopia. So I was up there, um, and uh, I know that yeah. that was awful. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> bad. Yeah, so yeah, so just imagine like getting off of the Switch T station and just having to bike through all that, and then Ugh. same with horse shows. Like I used to bike to myopia to take some hunt horses out. Like people would just uh, people would just give me horses to take out, and that that's pretty much how i rode like and there's hills anybody would give me you were on a bike there's yeah. hills there are <laughs> strong oh yeah strong she just makes it happen yeah i mean you gotta you gotta do what you gotta do if you want it you know and i there was never a question of whether i wanted it or not all through high school everybody 
would, uh, I went to school obviously in the city. So all my guidance counselors, everybody was like this horse dream. It's not real. Like it's not going to work. Like you can't do it. And I was like, Oh yeah. Like, okay. So, and, uh, I just ignored all the haters and just kept working and kept working. And then when I was 18, I moved out, I moved into, I rented a Roman Ipswich and, uh, by my farm and biked then. And, uh, a friend of mine, Molly Kenny, who is amazing. She helped me get my license and I saved up for four years and I bought a car and I think it was, I bought my car. I was 19 when I bought my car. I got my license in August, got my car in September. And then, uh, Molly Kenny of lucky dog farm gave me a job in Ocala, Florida and off I went. You you know, that's incredible because we often talk, everybody thinks that especially in the jumping world, that everybody's wealthy. Because you hear about the Gateses and, you know, that crowd. Uh, That's who who makes the news. That's who everybody hears. You never hear about people like you that really work their ass off to get to where they are now. And this is for all those people who are familiar with Ipswich. Do you like fried clams? I love fried clams. My mother was actually the head chef of Woodman's for 12 years. Oh, really? Yeah, we've eaten there. Yep. Yeah. And Emily's going, what are they talking about? No, No, um, I like it. I'm so happy. (laughs) Ipswich is known for having the best clam shacks. There are all clam shacks up there. Uh, Oh, it's so amazing. That's awesome. I like I mean, you really, you really can't beat it, those fried clams. And that's one of the finest restaurants up there, actually, uh, where your mom worked. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Woodman brings people from every which way. And actually, the, the movie Grown Ups was filmed in that in Essex, which is right next to Ipswich. Yeah. And uh, they filmed in Woodman's, and they filmed on Shabaco Lake. It's actually pretty crazy. Then sh- and, and ask Ari about green fly season. She'll tell you what that's like, too. Uh, oh, God. It's a oh, freaking nightmare. It's, it's a nightmare. <laughs> bad. Well, I was up there, too, because I went to boarding school uh, right outside Boston. Oh, yeah. Then you know about green yeah. fly season. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's, it's yeah. More there were there were some summers where I would literally sleep in the hayloft because the horses had to be uh, switched. We had fifth, we my farm had three fifteen acre paddocks, and a couple herds of all our horses were in herds of of some sort. So at four o'clock in the morning, you had to bring in one herd and then put out the next one because the minute the sun came up, everybody had to be inside because those greenheads yeah. they'd take chunks out of the horses. Oh, they were awful. And then they had, you had the big black uh, B-52 flies that would literally take like dents out of you. Oh, yeah. They're, it's a it's a true nightmare. And then I, we were also like on the marsh, like right uh, uh, down the street from Crane's Beach. <laughs> so Crane's Beach is beautiful. You can go riding there, Emily, but not really? during green fly season. <laughs> no, uh-uh. no. No, 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 no. I no. want to go riding. Um, at no, <laughs> that's actually what I used to do all winter. We had we were one of the few places that still had a working indoor and uh, all the horses would get sick of going around circles in the indoor. So we'd all, we'd uh, either trail ride or put them on the ascot truck and take them down to the beach. And I think every day, sometimes twice a day, like in the middle of the winter, we'd be galloping the horses up and down the beach. It was actually an amazing way to grow up because it really taught me like horsemanship and, and really just had to care for my horses and keep them sane and happy, you know? Yeah, you have so many different influences and brilliant. done so many different things. Yeah, I've had um, 
and growing up too, because I would ride with anybody. Like, I mean, Sue, uh, Sue Downer, who is my good friend, Molly Kenny's mother, she gave me like classical dressage lessons. So I had the, the dressage lessons. I did the hunt horses, the hunter paces, the hunter trials, hunter jumpers, like would ride anything anybody put me on. And I'm really glad I grew up that way because it's giving me so many tools to come here to Wellington and go to Ocala and, you can put me on anything and then nothing's going to surprise me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You do have you a know? good seat, good balance. Absolutely. No. And, it, and you can't get that. You can't really teach like people can't teach that to you. Like horses teach it to you. Like experience teaches exactly. it to you falling off and things like this. <laughs> Maybe galloping on the beach. My, yeah, exactly. Galloping down the beach and galloping down the field. And my first saddle was um, a 60 year old Hermes that had nothing to it. <laughs> it mm. was flat. Those are no bad. Blocks, nothing. <laughs> and I used to go and do like miles of like hunter paces and the hunter trials. Like I'd go out cross country in it, like, and, and, and I'd ride anything. So, you know, really taught you how to hold on for dear life. <laughs> yeah, really. To say the least. Well, and you did some eventing but, too, right? Yes, I did. Uh, I did do a little bit of venting. I worked with a, a couple of venters, Catherine Cooper, who is who's really brilliant. She has Benlay farm in New Hampshire. She let me ride some of her horses and it, it's so much fun. It really is. So you're, it really was like, it's an amazing experience. Yeah. I mean, I like the idea of it or the look of it or something. I think just cause I ride, I, my, my goal is to ride like really careful horses, you know, and I look at some of that stuff and <laughs> I'm like, eh, you know, I don't think my horse going to jump that. You know, but that's why they keep yeah. them up in the show jumping, uh, you know, with the carefulness. But so, all right. So you're 22. Uh, again, happy birthday. Uh, and April Thank Fool's. You. <laughs> uh, you are <laughs> trying to go to FEI level. That is your dream. That's where you're directed, right? Yes. So um, as FBI it stands right now. Dream. Okay. As it stands right now, I'm, I'm working hard to get there. Um, once I got to Ocala, I worked in Ocala. I did... Um, some of the, I worked for Molly Kenny at the time she was doing the meter tens and the meter twenties or so with her horses. And she ended up going back to Ipswich and I got a job in Wellington, which was something else. I mean, I remember the first day I drove into Wellington and I was like, Oh my God, like I had never seen anything like, like this in my entire life, you know? And like, you don't any, everything in like Wellington, you don't see it down in Ocala. So no, I got or anywhere, yeah. So or really anywhere. Yeah, it's a bizarre place. And nowhere that I place. had been. Yeah. For a girl that had never been out of New England, you know, I just packed Welcome up my car Candy and drove straight to Florida because exactly because why not? So <laughs> yeah, so I worked for her. I did Wellington, and I worked for a person in Wellington that had a lot of babies, and they trained me a lot, and it was it was brilliant. I had some really truly amazing trainers. And ended up going back to my old person, Molly Kenny, because she had bought a Grand Prix horse and a high jumper. And I started grooming for some Grand Prix and some jumper classes. And, you know, when you're just kind of thrown into it after, like, I had never really groomed before I did the Grand Prix and like the smaller classes groomed for shows. I mean, I was always on it and I always wanted to be on it, but it was quite the experience just being thrown into it. And I mean, the minute I got into the, to the horse show, I just fell in love. Like the pace, uh, having my horses ready, having them like literally spotless. Like some of my horses, you could see their reflection, your reflection on their ass, you know, uh, 
<laughs> on their butt. But um, it was <laughs> it was such an amazing experience, and I am so thankful for every minute of it. And now I'm back in Wellington and working harder than ever to uh, to get to my FBI job. You know. And you're so with your experience, you've been around the block a little bit now, been in a couple different operations, seen different levels of competition, yeah. different horse show circuits. Sort of what would your advice be to somebody that was thinking along the lines of what you're doing? Uh, what would be sort of the next steps uh, to kind of just keep getting there closer to your goal? Keep getting, to, to keep getting closer to your goal. Yeah. Um, pretty much just, I'd say, just work for work for anybody because at the end of the day, experience is key, whether it's good experience or, or bad experience, you know, just getting into the ring and seeing it and being in it. And I mean, you got to learn how to multitask and you got to kind of think ahead of everybody. Like your rider may be jumping around the pre, but I mean, when you pack your backpack in your, in your ring bag, you want to be three steps ahead. So any sort of bit change you would need, any sort of studs, any cleaning equipment, baby oil is literally, I survive with it. Um, <laughs> I polish my boots with it. I polish my horse with it. Everything. Do you really your boots? So, too? I mean, wow. Oh yeah. Yeah. My, um, your, uh, your horse's front. Oh, the horse boots. boots. Okay. Yeah, 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 totally. I'll use show shoes sometimes. I was your, like, you're putting that on your leather. Like, that didn't seem good. Uh, <laughs> like your your personal no, boots. That, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I would not put it on my uh, on my okay. personal boots. So okay, good. Pretty much horse kill boots. the leather. Get yeah, the, yeah, yeah. I was like, yikes! Boots, I yeah. don't know. <laughs> give them a, okay, totally. Give them a nice yeah, shine to it. Nice shine. Yep. So and then like, but um, you're, you're trying to uh, take that next step, you know, and keep working towards your, your personal goal of being an FEI groom. So I've, you know, you're right. a perfect example of what it takes to get to your goal and everybody, right. you know, that's, it's relatable to everybody regardless of what you're doing. And then you, then your specific trajectory, you're kind of, you're going to need to take some steps. You're going to need to kind of like, you know, keep walking in that direction, um, after your experience, exactly. which is a good phase, like you're saying, you know, like you should like me too. I mean, like I, I have big dreams, you know, I want to ride in night classes and, and all this, but you know, also like if you want me to ride the three-year-old or I'm going to go and ride a hunter or like whatever, it's all experience and it's all valid. Um, and the more yeah, exactly. And, and one big key is also networking. It's going to the show, introducing yourself to people, like kind of making sure everybody knows you and knows what you're about and knows you have good work ethic because like good people see good people, you know, and I've been very lucky to work for very good people. Just merely, merely the fact because I just work hard, like every day at the barn doing yep. what needs to get done. Yeah, no, exactly. No, <laughs> so you've got it's all right there for you. I'm so excited. We're gonna keep following uh, up with you and checking in on your progress. And it takes time, okay? Twenty two. You know, you're gonna you're gonna have to take some steps. Like you know, we were saying, go go start working at some stage. Have the opportunity to work in a barn that has FEI horses, but maybe you're not doing them first. You know, so you can see and you're in proximity, and then you keep learning. And then you, you take that step, but I mean, it's pretty impressive. The ground that you've covered and you're determined, you work hard. So we're, we're just going to keep checking in on you girl. And thank you so much for calling in. I know you're working on Monday, <laughs> so it was a little dicey getting her on the phone, but, but get on back to work and we will talk to you soon. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. So Emily, what's going on at S Equestrian? The reason we first met in the first place all those years ago. 
I know. Isn't that funny? One thing, you know, little steps and, you know, lead to another. Absolutely. Uh, that it has been going really, really well, as with any company that, as we had said, uh, we've been on the shelves since 2010. We need to update. You got to stay current. So right now we're kind of, kind of, it's exciting for me because I act primarily as designer. I, I still turn the gears and help with distribution and things like this, but at this stage in the game, that's primarily what I do. Um, and that's not needed all the time. But right now, I'm basically like redoing all the styles, like making them like a little bit more modern. Um, the jacket, we're going to redo that and add a few little tweaks to the pattern and uh, the fabric. I'm changing the fabric. Uh, the breeches are coming. We're actually going to flush out the line for the summer. We're going to be uh, have the whole uh, Rauschenbach tax store, which is the old Bevel's store up in Saugerties, New York. And it's going to be, you know, S Equestrian all over the place. So stay tuned for all that. But it's exciting. It's in transition. You know, I mean, it's been however many years now and and we got to keep moving forward so you guys can keep keep tabs on us we do have inventory right now for our, our stock shirts and you can always order custom or made to order show coats so you can check it out ecequestrianco.com uh we're on facebook as equestrian apparel and then of course i'm emily wood but yeah stay stay tuned we got really cool stuff on the way well, Emily, I know that the Show Jumpers just inducted some new Hall of Fame members for Show Jumping Hall of Fame. And uh, one of those was Robert Ridland, uh, and he is a former Olympic rider, network broadcaster, also course designer, and U.S. chef to keep. And he was just on the Plaidcast, uh, episode 117. He and Mason Phelps were on the same episode. So you can find that at oh, cool. uh, just go to horseradionetwork.com and look for the Plaidcast, episode 117. So uh, have you had experiences with him personally? I have not. No, I have know the name, of course, uh, after all that he's done and, and being the chef to keep now. I don't. Uh, and I would like to listen to that, though, that you had him on. He was a 70s and 80s guy, if I remember yep. right, uh, during those years and, and you know, did very, very well, obviously, uh, over the years and then went on to become chef to keep. And he's a well-spoken guy, too. If you hear his interviews, he really... You 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 want to like him and you want to believe him. Yeah, I mean, obviously, so much experience. I mean, uh, first Olympic team, uh, nineteen seventy two, the games in Munich. Wow! Like, <laughs> this I is was, a, lot, a lot of experience. I was ten when he was at his first Olympic games. I exactly. I was <laughs> ten, ten year, eleven years from being born. Yeah, <laughs> you weren't Not even, even thought about. <laughs> no, no, was even thinking about me. How sad. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, the 70s, 80s, uh, he won the American Invitational at Tampa Stadium. That was very prestigious. Uh, National Horse Show, Madison Square Garden, Grand Prix of Switzerland, uh, Nations Cup teams, Rotterdam, Toronto, Spruce Meadows. Well, I mean, gosh, he probably rode with Chapeau, Frank Chapeau, and Mo George Morris at the time. Mm -hmm. He probably was yep. riding on teams with them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he 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 did it. So who better? Yeah, I mean, the, what a great opportunity to have him as the chef to help these teams as we're sending them all over the place. Who else was inducted? So he and so okay. So that was good. I just have to say, like, I know I'm not on the board, or I don't know if I can vote or whatever. But I feel like some of these that were inducted were like we're a little bit late to the party. <laughs> you know, like they're they're great. Like of course, okay, like. Uh, next one, Peter Doubleday, fantastic announcer. I mean, he he really is the voice. Like you hear him in like every live stream, like all the top classes. Okay, but that's like somewhat you know current ish. Um, and then God, he's you know, been doing like, that forever. He has been doing it forever, but like he's still like current. You know what I mean? Like he's yeah, exactly. He's Did been he doing ever it forever, ride? Still... Um, I 
don't know if he did. I mean, I have his. Um... He, he was. Uh, uh, I, I think he was involved with the USEF as a manager at some point, show management, um, and things like that. But I don't know if he ever wrote. That's I a good don't question. Think he did. I, I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I just in his uh, his little text uh, for his in, uh, induction there, it just has uh, announcing. Um, so that would be definitely. Well, he was in Harry and Snowman the too, the movie. Um, yes, he, yeah, he was exactly. in that movie too. Yeah, with Harry Delaire. <laughs> yeah, no, he's he's uh, well, I mean, it says so that he's a USCF and FEI rated judge, so he must have written at some point. He must have written, yeah. yeah, he must have. We need to get him on at some stage, yeah, that'd be cool. Get, get to the bottom of his story, but say, okay, so that he's still somewhat current because he's still in play right now. Okay, this is what I'm talking about here. We have Colonel John Wofford, aka Jip. Uh, he was the first president of the United States equestrian team. He was born in 1898. <laughs> he started showing in what, like 19, he, he started showing like 1918 or something like this. He coached the U S show jumping and three day venting teams. And this in is when it was all military, right? Right. Back yeah. Then. You know, yeah. but like, why was this man not <laughs> in sooner? You know, like <laughs> he passed away in 1955. I mean, Anyways, it wonder he's worth googling. That's really incredible all that he's done. Uh very interesting. Yeah, he was the, back in the military days and uh he attended Calvary School at Fort Riley, which still has horses if I remember, right? I don't know, probably. Yep. Yeah. And that's where the cavalry was. That's where they were located. Um and did the US Army hor- This is what it was called back then, the US Army Horse Show Team, 1929. So interesting, yeah. That's a little over. That's a hundred years too late. <laughs> yeah, but okay, but we're there. It's yeah. happening. Yeah. I mean, and he you know, coached like we were saying the three day team as well. Uh, he also coached some the dressage competition. Uh, you know, like it, he did a lot. Um, who is this? Uh, oh, so this is a lot of eventing as well. I'm just reading his little thing here. Yeah, no, I mean, for sure, he should have been in there, yeah, 100 years ago. He's in. And then my other sort of gripe is like Bold Minstrel, like Super Horse, okay? That one was brought in. Um, that horse is the only horse in history to win medals for the U.S. at the Pan Am Games in two different disciplines. It did eventing and jumping. It did puissance. It did hunter stuff. Like, the horse did so, so much. It was bred in 1952, um, he was, uh, ridden by a few different riders. He, uh, was chosen for the Pan Am games in Chicago in 1959 and they won the silver medal. He, uh, he also represented the U S in eventing in the 1963 Pan American games in Sao Paulo in Brazil. Wow, uh, horse. right. I know, but I'm just like, that's crazy. You know, like that horse should have been the first horse in there. It's doing eventing, jumping, puissance. Uh, you know, it's hunter classes, um, uh, Steinkraus Steinkraus and Bold Minstrel were forced to be reckoned with in both nationally and internationally. They were part of winning U.S. Nation Cups teams and at the National Horse Show, 66, 68, and 69. Pennsylvania uh, National Horse Show, Harrisburg, they won classes at Penn National. I mean, like, the, the horse has been all over the world. Uh, not a big horse. I think it was, like, 16th through. It was a, a thoroughbred cross. Um, uh, bold minstrel was well known for his limitless scope and was a top contender in puissance classes. That threw me for a loop when I got down there. I was like, wait a minute. Like he did it, the <laughs> national horse show at Madison square garden by it, clearing seven foot three. Yeah. Broke the record. <laughs> That's crazy. Like he should have been in there. If you break a record, you should be in there. Did you see what but, his nickname is, was? 
No, what was it? Fatty. Oh, fatty. Because he was an yeah. easy keeper. <laughs> easy keeper. <laughs> yep, yep, totally. But that is that was incredible. I've heard the name so much, and I know of the horse, but to really sit down and like look at what it did, like, wow, that's impressive. That is a true, more than a three-ring horse. I mean, I don't even know what you call that. I haven't seen a horse like that before. Very neat. Well, thank you for that, Emily. And now we'll get to our next guest. We have our friend Jay Duke back on the show. He's been on a couple times before, uh, repping his clinics and training process, jayduke.com. So thank you for joining us again, Jay. Good morning, Emily. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, we're excited. We're going to do something a little different these next uh, coming up months here episodes. We're going to have Jay on every episode and he's going to offer us a little convo, a little chat about some training, some training advice and theory. So he's got something, uh, no doubt, very interesting to discuss as always, if you check out his website and his clinics and his training sessions. So what do you have for us today? Well, today we're going to talk about the warm up ring and how important that is to the success that happens in the show ring. Each trainer has their system as far as warming the horse up, but there's not a lot of diversity as far as how that happens. A lot of people just get in a formulaic process of, okay, we're going to jump a little vertical, then we're going to jump a little oxer, then finish on a vertical and away they go. For example, horses are more individual than that. And especially when you're dealing with horses that are say a little more sensitive, um, specifically say a mare and, I'm also talking more so about the jumper ring as far as getting that horse to walk in the ring to their optimum performance. Uh, It's important that the horse walks in there feeling great about themselves and prepared to jump, and also that the rider walks in there feeling mentally and physically ready. So how you, we're going to start off with how you time your warm-up to walk in the ring. Now, this is going to vary individually from horse to horse as well. Um, I think in an ideal situation for the rider, I like to start my warm up when our count is at four. So that you're four out, that gives you time to catch your six to eight warm up jumps, gives you time to go to the ring, gives you about 60 seconds to go through the plan a final time, and then you walk in the ring, you're feeling sharp, the horse's blood is up and ready to go. And that, that would be the ideal format for the average horse. Now, and that's that, jumping warm-up. That's not warm-up warm-up. That's, that's, that's uh, when you start your jump. Yeah, yeah. You start start jumping when you're four out. Um, yep. Typically, of course, we've done our your morning hack, so the horse is already flatted and such. Um, even once you've done your morning hack, I recommend the rider being on minimum of 10 out, that gives them again time to, you know, do a little bit of work, also be relaxed mentally and feel feel good about walking the ring. You don't want to feel rushed, but you also don't want to feel like you are sitting there and waiting and waiting and waiting because then sometimes you can get a little bit of mental fatigue for yeah. both horse and rider. Yeah, and punch so, out the front rail, first jump. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And and there is there is something, you know, the paralysis by analysis of just doing too much um, as well. So it's important to, to read the rider and read the horse to do what is correct. So like I said, for the average horse, you're going to start the jump portion of the warm up when you're four out. And that for some horses, they need a little more time. And so, you know, if you have, say, a really uh, a hot, sensitive blood horse, you might want to start your warm-up at five or six out. 
And then that gives that horse a few minutes to just settle at the gate and, and calm their nerves. If you have what we call the blood horse, the one with a lot of excitement and adrenaline running through them. If you have a very cold horse, um, you know, possibly even a stallion or something like that. Now you want to, you want to get to that gate and you want to walk in and, and have them ready to go. Um, cause their, their blood needs to be up. So that's the, the timing of the warm up is a portion of it. That is very important for the trainer and the rider to get on the same page. So the two of you feel like you're working as a team and you want to also be very consistent with that system. And so that the rider walks in. So it's always, always the same process. And so then you get into a real rhythm of how to, how to walk in the ring. And then that provides a lot of comfort for the rider mentally. We see that in professional sports where, um, football coaches will keep the same program every single week for their players. Then they, they have that pattern and they, they walk onto that field as ready as they can be. And that's how it needs to be for the trainer and the rider in the warm ring as well. Which is like easier said than done, huh? It is. Like, you, you want Cause you get messed up in the order system. or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. And of course, you know, when orders change and that sort of thing, um, you know, that does make it more difficult. And sometimes the trainers have multiple riders and, and there is all that, but, you know, we just did a horse show. It's and we so got, important though. It's so, so important. We, we just came off a horse show indoors and. Oh, I saw that had, your daughter did great. Yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you. We had such a fun horse show. It was amazing. Um, but the warm-up ring was, was tricky to, to navigate because, say, there'd be 20 horses in the class and I would be coaching four of them. So we'd have the fifth horse, the eighth horse, the 14th, and the 17th horse type of thing. And so we'd have multiple people setting jumps and really planning. We'd plan out how the warm-up was going to go with each rider before the course walk even happened so that mm-hmm. everyone felt very comfortable. Everyone knew they were going to get the time that they needed and it really was a, a team collaboration to get each horse and rider to the ring and ready as they can to, to walk in there. And you have to, like you're saying, uh, the importance of that is so paramount. You do things happen, horse pulls a shoe, got to tack it on, change the order, whatever adds to the class. But I, keeping that idea that that is extremely important, um, excuse me, will help at least, you know, try to capture that consistency at the horse shows because, okay, obviously things happen, but it is, it's so important. You know, you can't be sitting on the horse for 20 trips and expect to go in there, you know, and, and, and do well, well, depending on the horse, but, but that's, that's really good. That's, that's really good, uh, to, to keep in mind myself for sure. I'm thinking that way. Cause I'm thinking back to however many like last rounds and like that one I had was like on the horse when I was three out and had to warm up and then jump a couple jumps and go, you know, and the other one I did show up and I was like 25 out and we had to stand in the sun. You know, these were probably not good, good moves, you know, for success in the ring, but you, you got to fight for it, make it a priority with your team. Like you're saying. You do. And so being organized and planning, and of course, with the horse shows, they not, not every show is the most organized and doesn't always run as we expect. And so, you know, things do happen. So of course you have to be adaptable to that. 
Um, but you do want to, as much as you can, have it planned out so then both horse and rider feel comfortable and relaxed. Uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about was the warm-up jumps that are used um, for to prepare the horse. And that's something that, again, needs to be individual for the horse. Now, as far as when it comes to the rider in the warm-up ring, in this case with the jumps, um, what I don't think it's overly relevant as far as what the rider jumps, but it is very, very relevant for what the horse jumps. So there are some horses, for example, that need to start on a small vertical. Um, we even had a horse this week, um, one that I was just helping at the show who I had never seen before. And she was such a careful, sensitive mare. We actually started with a pole on the ground because wow. um, she she didn't want to start um, at all in the warm-up ring. And an older horse, lots of experience. And and she just was very, very sensitive. And so the first warm-up jump, she would always run out to the left, which I'd never seen before. And so day, I saw this the first two days, and I was like, okay, well, this isn't a very good way to start our day. So we started with a pole on the ground and slowly built her up. And, you know, 10 jumps later, we had her, you know, comfortably in the warm ring, jumping meter 30, and then she walked in the ring and the trainer felt fantastic. The horse felt great. And she jumped two clear rounds on the weekend. And oh, it that's just awesome. took that little bit of an adjustment in the warm up ring. Like, Hey, how are we going to start this? Because even starting at a, a 90 centimeter vertical, the horse would run out to the left. And so it had to like, okay, how are we going to change this horse's mindset and this rider's mindset to, to start off in a more positive way? So that's, that's an extreme example. Um, we, have, we had another horse at the show, um, another mare, very, very careful, very sensitive, very top quality. Um, her, she'd walk in the ring and be very tense for the past couple of years. So we've changed her warm up considerably. Um, instead of doing a morning hack, she does a small class in the morning, like a, a 90 centimeter class or a one meter class. And we just go in the ring, jump three, four or five jumps. And essentially that's her morning hack because that helps get her in the ring and realize that the ring isn't too scary. And then when we warm her up for the big classes at night, we would warm her up very small. We basically over triple bars, you set the ground line way out in front. Um, you set a big rampy oxer and maybe we'd get the rampy oxer to meter 20 at the most. And she jumped one meter 30 vertical. So a total of about six warm up jumps and then walk in the ring and was competing at the meter 40, meter 45. And she, it completely changed that horse's mentality. Um, felt much more confident walking in there and, uh, she was top five every, every night at, the, at this big show. So, wow. um, as opposed to the year ago at the show, she, only got around once. So it was um, a big, big change. And, and again, that's working with the individual horse, um, figuring out what works best, best for them. It was quite funny. My, my Grand Prix rider, she said, we we're warming up for the Grand Prix and, you know, we were jumping our meter 15 jump to walk in the ring and everyone else was jumping, you know, meter 45, meter 50 to walk in the ring. Mm -hmm. It was quite funny in the warm thing. And, uh, <laughs> But we beat them all, so that that's the important thing. <laughs> Wait, that one jumps up too high, huh? Just just 
will not touch a jump and very, very careful. So confidence is everything. Now you have some horses that you want to work on their shape in the warm up ring. So we'll do it. We'll start off with say a small landing pole, just, you know, the first three or four jumps just to get them shaping around the vertical. Um, we had a couple riders that were struggling a bit in the ring with the rhythm. So we start off with a, a pole that's set two strides out in front just to help the rider find the rhythm to the jump. I guess there's a lot of different ways to warm a horse up is what I'm saying. Yeah, and there really are. There is. And you want to find what works best for your horse and rider. Um, Cause there's not just, there's not just one way to do it. And, and that's through, I mean, obviously trial and error. I think also uh, if people are wondering maybe what is your warm up, you can also check out Jay's website for some training, some lessons, some su- training subscriptions, clinics, things like this, jayduke.com, uh, because you've got so much experience. I mean, you look at a situation and say, oh, okay, well, I'm going to put a placing roll, uh, rail or, you know, do a ramp or, or whatever you're going to do uh, per horse by horse. But uh, for other people with not as much experience, um, I mean, that's where really uh, a situation like you've produced with your training clinics and subscriptions is awesome. I would, yeah, and I really recommend and to watch for people to watch the warm-up ring. You can often learn a lot more watching the warm-up ring than you can the actual class. You know, so whenever you know that there's, you know, good riders warming their horses up, watch how they warm them up. And and there's there's a lot to be learned from that process. And um, that's my advice for all young riders and really for um, everybody to get better. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. I'll even watch those big classes at WEF. Well, they have the Jumbotron, so you can still see what's going on in the ring. But I basically, like, stand up and watch the schooling area. It's not very relaxing. But you see so much, and it's so interesting, the different schools. Some of them jumping huge, or like you're saying. I mean, I watch, I I think it was, like, Big Star or something a few years ago. jumped, like, I mean, like, maybe, like, a 120 Oxer and then, like, went into the huge night class. It's like, wow, okay. And, yeah, then other people are jumping mountains. It's case by case. It is um, a good example of that was Hickstead, you know, may possibly, you know, the greatest, def- definitely one of the top five horses of all time. Um, meter 45 was the biggest that horse ever jumped in the warm-up ring. Wow. And, uh, you know, so that's, again, just fig- figuring out what works for your horse to uh, go get the best result you can. That's awesome. Well, it's clearly working for you. You're coming off a really successful horse show. And you guys can check out, again, all of his info on jduke.com. And thank you so much for joining us. This is going to be fun. We're going to do this every month, and we're going to get some good tips. I mean, selfishly for me, I feel like I'm getting like a little bit of a riding lesson. It's good. And I'm, I'm thinking like, yeah, I didn't really do that last horse show. I showed up when I was three out. It was my mistake, but I'm also the groom. But anyways, <laughs> thank you for joining us, and we will check in with you next month, Jay. Thank you, Emily. Have a great day. Thanks, you man. too. And we have our next guest, Mackenzie McLean, who is the Equiline Marketing Manager for Equiline America. Welcome to the show, Mackenzie. Hi, thanks for having me. Yes, I'm so glad we could we could connect. We tried to grab you guys last month, and so we've been kind of talking about it for a little while. Um, and in the meantime, have tried uh, quite a few of your saddles, which I did not know <laughs> that that even existed. When Monique, who is our rep, who will pass out the contact info of who can handle any inquiries uh, into the Equiline tack line and all the rest of it. Uh, she started coming over to the barn and bringing some saddles and they are really, really nice. I mean, I, how long have they been in, uh, in the U S when did you all start distributing here? 
So we started around five and a half years ago doing the U.S. distribution, but we really only brought the saddles in um, probably like a year and a half, two years okay. into it. Um, Equiline's been developing was developing them for probably about like maybe five years or three, like four years before we started the distribution, but they really launched them like right when we started. We wanted to make sure that the saddles were all up to speed before we started doing anything with them in the U.S. because it's a tough market. But um, this past two years, we've started really um, pushing them and trying to get the idea out there that Equilin makes more than just horse products and clothing. Well, yeah, and I didn't even know that you guys were making horse products. You can go on the website is um, equilineamerica.com and see all the different things. I was shocked. I, I know the clothes are the beautiful jackets and, and breeches and things, you know, like this at the tax stores. But, uh, but yeah, I had no idea. Um, and it is really quality stuff. So the word that's kind of why we're doing this too, to get the word out there a bit, because there's a lot of people that really don't know at all. Yeah. The funny thing is, is that, um, the company was started by Paolo Marchetto, but he actually started it. Um, he started with saddle pads and horse blankets. Really? So the, yeah, because he was in the textile industry and rode horses and didn't quite like the quality of fabrics that he was putting on his horses. So he made his own and then wow. evolved into clothing and then into the saddle division. And you have, I mean, how many saddle models do you have for between the oh, jumping and the dressage? Quite a few. Um, probably around 15. Oh I think gosh. maybe more than that. So there's really, it's what's great is that there's really like a seat style and model for every rider and horse is what makes, there's a lot of like variety within the whole brand, which makes it really interesting and great when you go and can meet with someone to fit them. If you see how they ride and know what types of saddle might help them or help the horse. Yeah. And they are, <clears throat> there's so many different, just in the jumping section, so many different, um, options hunter style jumper style i like their name a lot of them are named after riders um i love the cross saddle uh for big jumps uh i sat in that monique brought that one and then the other which has the mono flap with the external blocks it's so so nice to two of the girls are getting those at my farm and then um the other one i'm not sure what style it is i'm on your website now but it has removable blocks which i thought i hadn't seen much of that before yeah, most of ours actually do have, um, some are set, um, like some have definitely set blocks in them, but a lot of the styles have um, like a really heavy duty Velcro, like movable and you can take them off or you can change the block size. So if there's a horse you like having a bigger block on, you can add it or take it away or move it forward or down. Um, yeah, that's what we did. With, yeah. yeah, one of our Majority riders of has them. a really long uh, knee and, and hip length, and we moved the block down. I was like, wow, that's so smart. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And then you don't have to, especially if you have more than one person riding the same horse, if they have different body types, you know, they're not going to fit in the saddle the exact same. And the whole, um, the whole vision and idea behind the saddle division is for the um, benefit of the horse and then the rider. So it's really for your horse's health to maximize his comfort or her comfort. And then also um, to 
be comfortable for the rider. But the whole, um, they bring the horse first. So the whole idea of them is quality for the horse to make sure you get the best performance out of them. And they're really light. I love that. I was surprised because one of the ones I tried was like too big for me and and it's so light. Yeah, they are. It's actually like surprises me almost every time I pick one up and yeah. the office. <laughs> yeah, I was like ready, like to like grab it because it was like a big, you know, seat and a long flap. I'm like, wow, it just like flew off the saddle rack. Okay, you can like carry it with one yeah, hand. Yeah, it's easy. funny to watch um, Monique or Jen or someone go out with for trials and have like five saddles in their hands. Right? Like, How are you carrying all that? How are you doing that? You're superhuman. So, so Emily, you've ridden a lot yeah. of saddles. What when yes. you t- when you ride in a saddle? What are the two or three things that you're looking for or feeling Um, or want to feel, you know, whatever that is, what's that, you know what that is. I mean, like, obviously it's got to fit the horse, you know, but that's case by case for, for, as far as the rider is concerned, it's like a hundred percent about the deepest part of the seat. And then like where your stirrup bars are in relation to that, because some of the saddles kick you back into like a chair seat and your leg is kicking out in front of you or they're too, you know, they're like off balance feeling. And I don't want to feel like I'm fighting to like stay over my horse's wither. Um, and I like, that's what I really liked about uh, uh, two or three, uh, saddles of different styles of the equiline I sat in. And I'm like, I ride in so many different saddles. Like I don't, I have a very yeah, nice because when you go to a clients, they're usually throwing their saddle yeah. up there, right? They just tag, yeah. yeah, nobody has time for all that. Like it just, you know, whatever, put your own saddle on, I'll meet you at the ring or I'll come to the barn or whatever. So I, I ride in so many different saddles a day. Um, and most of them I dislike, to be honest, and they're expensive, nice <laughs> saddles, but I've tried like so many, you know, and, and yeah, no, that was the thing. And that's what I love about my Voltaire as well. But then sitting in, in these, multi- you know, three or so different styles, um, of the same company, like it sat me in the correct spot every time I wasn't fighting to have my leg in the correct position, which is going to be the stirrup bar placement. And then the deepest part of the saddle, excuse me, it was correct. I loved them. And that takes a lot because I'm really, like I said, I really don't like most saddles. Like they just feel like off balance. Yeah. That's the interesting part is that within our different models, the stirrup bars are placed differently. So if they don't, if one, makes a rider feel like they're fighting to remain in the correct position. And we know that that's definitely not the style for them, but there's other ones that have like either farther back stirrup bar or farther forward. It's pretty great. Yeah. So many, so many, I mean, uh, and you have the dressage as well. So if you mm-hmm. guys are looking for those, um, you can go on their website, the equilineamerica.com and see here. Um, and you have also those mono flap dressage. I love those. Yeah, nice. the monoflap saddles are great, and we have a few different just in jumping girths too. But a few dressage different style girths that are all like anatom- anatomically cut, so mm-hmm. it's comfortable for the horses. Like, no, they really are in his belly and stuff. Yeah, they they fit uh, really nicely because we did try them on a few different horses too, and the cut multiple style saddles, you know, different sizes, different horses, and they really did fit nicely um and again the light the lightness like the whole construction just feels very streamlined what is your tree made of by the way okay so the tree is um our core shield technology so it is like a it is like a i don't know what the it is carbon fiber but it's not made in the typical carbon fiber way it's like an injection system so they inject the molecules into a complex network of like a lattice system. Mm-hmm. So it 
enables the tree to be more rigid in some parts and less rigid in others. So part around the withers and the palm of the saddle is your rigid zone where there's like a non, like you can't deform it. You can actually, we've had it, you can like stand on it when you just have the tree out of the saddle, stand on it and it doesn't like move. So there's no worry about it. Like caving like in on your horse's withers. Mm-hmm. Right. And then as you get back towards the seat of the saddle, it's more flexible. Um, it has, it has like a lot of um, cut, concussion absorption. So there's not as much um, shock on the horse's back and just decreases the stress the horse feels on a pole. And the, the leather uh, is really nice leather because it's not like, I mean, it's soft enough uh, broken in. I, I sat in a brand new one and a, a more broken in one um, and they are slightly stiff, but not in, in the beginning, but not, um, but nice quality leather. So like, you're not, if, if example, as a professional, like I will destroy a calfskin saddle, like give me like three weeks. Like right. and that's it's not so happening. Shocking to me. Cause in the past, before I ever had an equine saddle, I always had like the buffalo thing or something because mm-hmm. I didn't, I needed it. That's I wanted I it sticky too. And I find that yep. stickier, but ours is actually a calf leather. It's just, um, tanned naturally with natural oils. There's no chemicals involved. So it, um, makes it, and it's also a very long process. So it, it's a slow maturing time that makes the leather more durable, but yet very supple and soft. Uh, yeah, no, I loved it. That that really struck me too. It was obviously the construction of all of it, but the leather, all of it. I mean, I I, I really like the whole package, the whole saddle, how it fit. Um, and you, so if it you actually, guys, yeah, go it ahead. It surprises me every time I try one of our new models because I take them out to the barn to ride on my horse to see like what's different about it. Is that um, I always expect them to be super slippery because that's what my experience has been in the past trying new saddles, but they almost feel like they're just like they don't even feel like they're stiff yeah because they're brand new but the i don't feel like my legs flying around which is surprises me almost every time <laughs> no i know no i love them too you guys got to check them out so you get the word out here equiline Amer- what is the website i just clicked off of it equilineamerica.com correct yes uh that's e-q-u-i-l-i-n-e america.com awesome awesome saddles and if you're interested to talk more get some more info pricing locations of reps etc you can contact our that we have two sales reps uh that are actually right now i guess they're traveling but here they're or now they're in weft they'll be traveling uh monique is 561-252-1417 and jen is 561 561- two five two two one three two and either one of those ladies can help get you started and i encourage you to do so thank you mackenzie for your time we love your company and all the uh, production that's happening here in the u.s and we'll stay tuned with you yeah thanks so much well that's it for today this is the end of our 50th anniversary episode here for the jumping episode on horses in the morning thank you emily for doing this all these years i really i know I ha- I gave you a hard time, but I have to admit that I forgot too. 
and somebody else sent me sent me. Oh, that. really? <laughs> yeah, I took the credit. I apologize. I can't lie for long. I, it wasn't me. Um, but but I saw that and I was like, wow, because we are we're you know you are you're like my big brother. Like, come on, it does feel like uh, uh, just yesterday, but then also the five years. It's it was very very nice to reflect on that. You know, I love doing the show. I love being able to interact with the listeners and. Just don't forget, next year, April 1st, that's our anniversary. Wait, and it's, it should be an easy one to remember, right? Jennifer and I, I hey, we've forgot, we've both forgotten our anniversary times. We're 31 years <laughs> this year. We've both forgotten our anniversary oh, wow. times. <laughs> and then, uh, in August, our anniversary is July 16th, and August will go, I think we forgot our anniversary. <laughs> you know, And now our sister-in-law is so fed up with us because she actually remembers it every year that she texts us like a week ahead <laughs> to remind us. That's and I'm so like, hard. no, you need to text us the day ahead because we'll forget yeah. by next week. <laughs> so. Exactly. No one's going to remember. Well, uh, we can thank Facebook for uh, for our reminder. Yeah, no, Facebook is how I remember. How did we remember <laughs> birthdays before Facebook? I don't know. You I legit because, yeah, because Ari's birthday was today. And I was like, oh, gosh, yeah, that's right. And like Facebook, like it was right did there. Did you even remember your family's birthdays? I don't. No. I don't either. No. My no, brothers, so I don't remember their birthdays. I don't no, I only know, yeah, my older brother, because he's five days after mine, he's the si- same day as Caroline. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, it's, it's hard, you know? It's, it's hard so being stuff. adult. <laughs> it, it is. It is. There's so much adulting to do. It just won't stop. That's right. In the laundry day and everything. Day, it just keeps coming. Got to pay the bills and do all that Keep remembering coming. stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. It's, it's, uh, I'm not a fan, but, but we're getting it done. <laughs> See, that's like what, what, why I like when I get together with you. We don't do any adulting when we get together. We don't. We regress. No. <laughs> that's true. That's and then true, somebody actually. has to jump in and stop us from being on a We're always going to like parties and fairs and restaurants. Yeah. <laughs> Oktoberfest. I mean, that yeah. was awesome. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> Yeah. Well, we're totally. doing a Japanese festival. If you feel like getting in your kimono and coming over uh, this I weekend, I do. I do. I want the details. You'd look cute in a kimono too. You'd I mean, look. I'm in. Like, I'm all about the parties and the Oktoberfest and the beer chugging. Well, like, what are the Japanese sake? So that would be sake, well, sake right? So we're gonna switch gears. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. I, I love mean, sake. is that what the Japanese drink sake? So yes, all right. So. Well, then I'll let you know where it is. We'll meet you there. Perfect. <laughs> I will see you there. <laughs> All right, that's it for today, everybody. Thank you so much. Jamie will be back tomorrow morning here at Horses in the Morning. You can find all of the cool clothing that Emily makes where? Asequestrianco.com. Check it out. Don't you have a cool phrase you say at the end, like keep your feet up or your head down or your tail up? or? But you always ask me that, and I should have one, but what can I have? I don't know. I don't know, listeners, if you have any idea what cool thing Emily... what what is What is a jumping coach always saying to a rider? Um, hmm. So many things. It depends on what they're doing wrong. You know what we need to do? I need to take a sound effect from the George Morris doll, and we'll play that at the end of every episode. Okay. I have here. I have. I I have the. I have all of them. So I have them recorded actually. So I will find one, and next month we will do a sound effect from George Morris at the end of the episode. I think that would be mostly appropriate. I have the one that says um, my favorite one is put down the fork. Um, something like that. It's yes. really rude. <laughs> <laughs> Most of them are. Yes, exactly. I've heard many of them directly spoken to me. <laughs> Most of them are. Most of them are. You but, know, you're you know, skinny though. Gosh. You never got the fork one. 
You never I didn't get one. the fork one. I got the, you know, like, because I, I mean, I wasn't riding in gloves one time and I looked at my hands that were like covered in blisters. Cause I had this horse was like a freight train, like running away with me and he could see in the mirrors. Cause I was doing the developing riding clinic at Gladstone. And so he could, he was not facing me. He was facing the opposite, but he could see me in the mirror. And I'm thinking there's like 15 people in this, in this clinic, like it's by invite only, you know, and, uh, he sees me. Emily, you don't look at your nails when I'm in the ring. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but anyways, he, he's good for him. But let's do it. George Morris quotes. I'm in. All right. So uh, we'll have to decide which one uh, which one we want. By Like, here's one. Uh, here's the one I was talking about. I found them. Uh, so. Best exercise you're going to do for riding and your horse is push away from the table. Put down your fork. <laughs> Here's another yes. one. <laughs> You're very beautiful. I hope you have a brain. Got <laughs> to get arrested for that now. Oh, yeah. If it is easy, it doesn't teach you anything. <laughs> it's so true. Do as little as possible, but as much as necessary. Oh, that's a good end to our show every time. That's a good one. Do you want to hear that's some of the others, so though, while we're at it? What the heck? I really do. <laughs> You heard I'm an ogre. Yeah, I am an ogre. Oh, this is a good one, too. The only ponytail I want to see in my ring is the one on your pony. Buy a hairnet now. <laughs> no. No. This is the oh bad God. news. Every second in the saddle, you're either schooling or unschooling your horse. There's no in-between. <laughs> I still like the as much as necessary so far. All right, two, three more. Your shirt isn't tucked in, and your horse looks feral. Get out. <laughs> Just get out of the ring. <laughs> That's awesome. I've seen that with my own eyes. I'm like, wow, Georgie Porgy is kicking this person out of the ring for the state of their saddle pad. Like, this is happening. Okay. I mean, I got kicked out once. I was able to come back, but I didn't have my stick. And I was like, I'm sorry. Like, my horse is a runaway. Like, let me go get it. But, yeah. <laughs> All right, two more. What are you going to do? <laughs> what is my advice for your daughter? The best thing you can do for your daughter's riding career is have her take tennis lessons. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and one more. I mean, all right. Are you yawning? You don't ride well enough to yawn. I can yawn because I ride much better than you. But you, not so much. <laughs> I didn't know he said all those fabulous things. We do need to have those. Yeah. That, that just needs to be a part of it, just in the mix. That just makes my day and makes me laugh and clap my hands like a child. <laughs> you know, <laughs> seriously, some of the things he says today, if he wasn't 80-some years old, right. he would get arrested. I mean, they would oh, take yeah. him away in handcuffs. He definitely can't take the safe sport test. No. <laughs> No. I could barely take the safe sport test. I failed like three <laughs> modules and I was like, all right, I'm just trying to like get to the point. Just call the cops, right? Just call the cops like every time. The whole but fork no, thing and the other thing. I mean, he would be out. That'd be him. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's there's no safe sport for him. Nope. All right. Well, that was fun. Now we're going to say goodbye, everybody. <laughs> oh. Bye guys. We'll be back. Right. Happy April Fool's. Do as little as possible, but as much as necessary.